gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Shrew Biscuit, hosted by your very own Shane Hinton, and I am back with a vengeance. And also with me is the lovely Jewel Sailor. Hiya. Oh, thanks. Brilliant. Oh, so all right, sorry. Um, Hiya, Shane. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> And also, um, silently um, in the background, looking lovely and pretty, is the lovely Alex Whiteley. Hi, hi, <laughs> hi there. <laughs> and also with us today, we have a very special guest, uh, Sal Ton. Shall we say hello? Hi, hello. See, I, I really built myself up for this massive intro, and then you all just <laughs> let me down. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Oh. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so before so before we before we go any further, um Al's told me to do some shout outs. Um so, so let me fetch them up right now. Um first shout out is to be support shrewsbury.co.uk. Um what was that for, Al? Um support Shrewsbury are it's run by well, it was put together by original Shrewsbury and a lot of other people around the town as well to support independent businesses. Uh, you buy vouchers mm. and you can support your local businesses by going onto that website. Cool. There you go. Thank you very much, Al. <laughs> also, um, Annie House, um, she was uh, she was a guest on the last episode. I've yet to w- listen to that yet, so sorry. Sorry, boss. <laughs> you won't to need yet. to. We, on- we only recorded it at lunchtime. Yeah. Oh, okay. I- I'm laughing. Brilliant. <laughs> I-, I was being time conscious. I was kind of like, yeah, this will go out after. But yeah, thank you, Annie, for coming on the show. It was great. And uh, he also told me to do a shout out. Um, no, because apparently, <laughs> no, I was joking. That was banter. Don't say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, what we're actually here today to do is to talk to uh, Sal about what she did. But I also believe that um, that Jules has a little bit of history with Sal. It, well, I know Sal. <laughs> Of history, but uh, yeah, Sal and I used to be sort of neighbours, or give it a mile, probably about a mile apart. But uh, yeah, we used to be neighbours, and um, Sal does a whole variety of things. But I think what we'll do is we'll go straight over to Sal, to, um, Sal, to tell us a little bit about yourself, and particularly, obviously, uh, the main purpose why we've got you on the show this evening. Uh, linked to your storytelling and what you do and what you're currently doing um, certainly obviously given the current climate with regards to that right well thanks for inviting me along all of you Uh, my name is Sal Tonge and I live in the village of Stuyperstones and uh, I'm a mum and I'm a grandma and I'm a fitness instructor but my main uh, source of income is as a storyteller And I've done this job for about 30 years as a professional teller of tales, twaddle monger, trader of taddle-diddle, taradiddles. And I often call myself a collector of oral bric-a-brac. Oh, my God. And (laughs) I work, I work, I mean, before the middle of March, I was an incredibly busy community artist. And I would work in schools. Um, I worked uh, a lot with people with special needs, um, adults and children living with multiple profound disabilities and autism. 
and I work a lot with people with memory impairment. And I do a lot of work, as I say, in schools, festivals, libraries, and I do a lot of staff training as well, training people and reminding people of the value of telling traditional tales. Mm. So you said that's what you did sort of like March before obviously everything happened. So so what is it you're doing specifically now and how you're making that work? Well, it's been really, really challenging and it's been super bewildering because um, when I'm telling stories, you're very much kind of vibing with your audience you go into a space you go into a space it might be um it might be a community center it might be a church hall it might be a hospital ward it might be a small classroom it might be a, a library it might be a stage but whatever you do you go into a space and you vibe with your audience and you check out how everybody is who's mm. falling asleep who's looking a little bit sort of like they need shocking who's looking a little bit disengaged who's looking super engaged who mm. looks like uh, you know, they're ready for a scary story. Who's enjoying the horror in this? And you're vibing out your audience the whole time as a storyteller. And so when the lockdown happened, my work migrated to the screen, just like we're mm. conferencing now. And um, it's been a, a huge challenge to vibe out your audience on a flat screen. Mm. Um, I work with people with like really uh, amazing kind of abilities and you know one man that I work with is blind and and is non-verbal but he loves stories and so to work with him on a screen rather than in person where I would bring kind of sensory additions to the story so I might tell him a story and if it was a story that was set somewhere cold I might bring some ice and we might explore the ice oh. or I might bring fan to suggest the wind when I'm telling that part of the story. And so to work on a flat screen was really bewildering. And then also what happened is that the carer set the screen up for this man. And so I, obviously I needed to see his face to kind of see what his responses were. But then the sunlight sort of changed in the room and all of a sudden his face went into shadow and I just couldn't read even if he was awake, you know. Mm. So it's kind of, um, it's been a challenge and I've been working really, really hard to um, uh, kind of adapt. So, so so, a lot of what you do then is is um, a lot of sort of, um, like you said, reading people and, and whatnot. And I kind of get that because, um, like with my job, um, I have to do a lot of, uh, I, I, I deal with, I, I manage personnel and stuff, and a lot of that is over the phone because a lot of the people I deal with is, is mobile, so I have to do that literally all, you know, th over the phone. I have to kind of gauge um, their mood, their temperament, and, you know, try, try and sort of deal with them at arm's length, and that's quite difficult sometimes. Um, so obviously you're, you're reading people face-to-face, -face, um, and I, I assume then you'll be kind of adapting your way of telling the story basically on the fly to kind of engage everybody on like a fluid level? Very much so, yeah. I mean, my, my training was, was in performance and I did a degree in, um, in drama. And one of the things that I really learned all those years ago, back in the good old days of student grants and fabulous <laughs> of accessible education, one of the things that I did learn on my degree was I didn't want 
performing plays. I didn't want to, although I, I do do bits of acting, um, I didn't want that to be my, my staple. I didn't want to learn a script and then do the same words night after night after night after night after night. And there's a discipline to it, and I do do it, and I do enjoy it, and it's... Um, it's it's very uh, invigorating for the mind and it and it, and it's sort of very um it is enlivening in its way but what i really wanted was to sort of have that kind of sort of in engagement with an audience a little bit like a jazz musician so you learn your repertoire you learn your scales you learn your chords in my case you learn your stories and then you know, you begin to riff and you begin to sort of like improvise with your audience. And as I say, if they like in the gory bits, well, you add a little bit more gore. And if they're sort of starting to go, Ooh, then you sort of gloss over the bit where the giant gets his leg chopped off and you sort of <laughs> segue neatly to blue backwards where the princess sort of rubs him with healing balms and all is well. And it's kind of like, you know, so you're always sort of uh, dancing with your audience. It's very, very, it's very live. And then, you know, to work with people, um, who also have kind of complex needs and, you know, people with autism and um, people with memory impairments, you're dancing even more, you know what I mean? You're, you're really, really on your tippy toes. And, and that's the energy, that, that's kind of the, that's the, the buzz. So how are you dealing with that at the moment then, Sal? I'm still learning, Jules. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a really bewildering time and, and, and what, I think I've used that word twice, actually, in this podcast now. Bewilderment just seems to be my complete state. And, you know, I'd never Zoomed until mm. April. April was my first Zoom. You know, I sort yeah. of spent the rest of March in shock. And then I sort of began to emerge into the world of Zoom and FaceTime and Skype. And I am learning on these formats. And so, you know, I have managed to do a one to, uh, some one-to-ones with with some of my particularly um, kind of uh, hard harder to reach audiences. I've also this morning I did uh, a sing around for people living with dementia uh, on a, a psychiatric ward in uh, Stafford. And so they kind of put me on the big screen and I was booked and like lang, I sort of turn up with my guitar because I also believe that, you know, at the start I was saying I'm a collector of oral bric-a-brac and there's an incredible amount of stories in pop songs, you know, and I'm a real fan mm. of, of, you know, you only have to sing We're All Going on a Summer Holiday and like people <laughs> will start telling you stories. Where's the best place to go on holiday? You know, you might not be able to remember what you had for breakfast. You might not even recognize your family members. These are very distressing parts of dementia. But, uh-huh. you know, somebody might mention Landudno to you and ping. Sticks yeah. of rock, donkeys, punch and Judy. <laughs> Little fragments of memories will come. And a song like Cliff Richard's Summer Holiday will just sort of ease people into that kind of flow state. So... I'm using screens and, uh, oh, and also I've started an initiative for Redwoods Hospital in Shrewsbury where I do a lot of work with people um, with with uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's who are still out in the community, a lot of singing for the brain work, which is very sort of storyful for me. And I've begun doing ring and sing. So that's a Wednesday afternoon. And for people who don't have 
uh, internet connection or for whom the screen doesn't work. Mm. You know, it's just a bit weird kind of singing with the telly. You watch the telly, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it can be confusing for some people. So I have a contract and I, I have about mm, seven or eight people and I ring them up and I'm singing Sal on the phone and we ring oh, and wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah and they just tell me what they want to sing and I got the guitar and uh, last time I did it I had a drummer a fabulous drummer who sort of accompanied me I was on the guitar and uh, he was on the drum and his daughter was holding the phone and singing along and I had another guy who, who knows loads and loads of songs and he was teaching me some really great sort of uh, spooky songs that he used to sing with children when he was a teacher and uh, and then I always had a great guy who sang me a beautiful love song and then told me about uh, the time when Norman Wisdom bought his car to his garage in Osmond Street to get it fixed. So, <laughs> you know, it's stories Finally. and songs and memories and it's just this mm. lovely day, you know, all down a telephone line. So this is just obviously their sort of like the purpose and the idea of that then is to keep them connected with somebody, keep them connected with a form of memory that they can remember um, and in a happy, nice format, sort of elevating whatever type of memory they can take or recall from that sort of experience. I think that creative artists working with like uh, a huge repertoire, you know, that we carry in our heads and we sort of like move from from idea to idea kind of like making a, a unique patchwork quilt every time you have an encounter with somebody um you know somebody can sort of come along and replace the pressure to remember mm. with permission to play and so yeah. you just come along and whatever that person offers you you go yeah and I know a song just like that or, yeah, you sing it again and I'll play it along with you. Or, yeah, that reminds me of a time when that happened for me. And, you know, that person has no longer, you know, the worst thing you can do with somebody with dementia is say, look, I'm going to show you these pictures. You remember the time when we, when we used mm. to go have our caravan down there? You remember going there and the person there going, no, no I, I don't remember that anymore. I don't remember it. And yeah. we all know what happens when... When, you, when you're frightened, if, if somebody said to you, you remember that and you don't, mm. you go into fight or flight, don't you? Yeah. And what happens is that all the blood in your body literally goes to your core, goes to your heart, your liver, your core. And where doesn't it go? It doesn't mm. go to your brain. It leaves your brain because it goes to protect your major organs because you're, you're panicked and you're shocked. And if you're living with memory impairment, the last thing you want is any shock impulse that's going to starve your brain of blood, mm. which starves it of oxygen. And so the idea behind the work that I offer is that we give that person permission to offer any idea that they want. You accept it and you build and you grow on it. And then that person feels accepted and they start to flow and they stop panicking. There's no pressure to remember something. There's no pressure to get it right or get it wrong because somebody like me will always say, yeah, and we can do that. Yeah. And what mm. about that? Yeah. Yeah. And you're the yeah person. I, I had a, a situation um, the other day where I was trying to remember a YouTube video about some somebody that'd been on my other show. And it was a, it was a story about Burt Reynolds, but like when you, when I went to say it, 
I completely forgot the actor's name on the spot, but the more I tried to remember Burt Reynolds' name, the more I couldn't find it. And it's always a situation when you like when you try to remember the name of a song or a singer or something like that. The more you try and find it, the the harder it is to remember, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then you sort I of do, get a I do that on my kids' birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> but that pressure is awful. And and the more you sort of punish yourself then you set up some sort of like stress response. You know, a yeah. stress happens in your body. And we all know how counterproductive stress is. Mm. And so the, you know, the I, and then the best thing you can do is go, oh, it'll come to me later. And you go and you do something like make a cup of tea and you're just stirring your tea. You go, ah, oh, that's the name. Because yeah. you're doing something that you're flowing at. And so, you know, the work that I offer uses stories, uses songs, uses shreds and patches of traditional material to put people into that flow you know if somebody wants to sing happy birthday i'll sing it a million times with them yeah that's the job you know so how do how do people access what it is you provide how do they know about you i know it's funny isn't it well um i do have a website but mostly my work has found me by word of mouth and even in this transition time I've got people who know what I do and so they're saying Sally we've got to be able to use you in some way you know Mm. and so you know I'm sort of I'm a creative flexible worker and I'm really blessed to have a network of flexible creative librarians Mm -hmm. arts managers within hospital trusts um promoters you know a friend I was due to go and run a course um in Ireland um in May and obviously I couldn't travel there and my friend said well run the course on Zoom and I said oh my goodness my my friend Liz is a big promoter of storytelling in Ireland and I said Liz I don't know if I can because my my course was going to be on sensory storytelling Mm. all around using kind of fabrics and sounds and smells and textures and 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 kind of motion senses and and kind of vestibular senses and proprioceptions exploring the seven senses to tell stories I thought how can I do this on zoom how can I but I did and my 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 creative friend pushed me and um thanks to her you know 10 people did the course and enjoyed and have gone on to be really creative sharers of stories who can now share stories for people who maybe wouldn't engage with the words but they would really love the the flow of a story I often say that my word my work is about bathing people's ears in the music of language Mm. and I can tell a story that is just like you know, and it, there's the music of language there, and it's yeah. property, and it's an incredible thing, and it's how babies learn to speak. Mm. You know, my grandson babbles and learns like, <laughs> you know, and, and they talk that babble talk, but it's such important talk. It's the building blocks of language and expressive talk, and equally, it's the music, it's the sound that's the last thing to go mm. as our senses fade away and we're ready for for death. Mm-hmm. And so we can still bathe people's ears in the music of language and stories, songs, rhymes, 
taradiddles are the way to do it. Wow. You've said that's, that. That's amazing. That is fascinating. I was going to say, yeah, because obviously you're, I mean, Shane, obviously your sister's a librarian anyway, isn't she? Yes, she is, um, yeah. And, and, and she, she does storytelling as well. And yeah, she, she's, um, yeah, my sister's very, very good at the whole storytelling thing. Um, in a, she, she, <laughs> she's got a lot of self-control and she and she does, she's always been passionate about, about books and stories and, and whatnot. And um far far more in depth than, than I ever did um I was never a book kind of person um I've read more um in my sort of mid-20s than I have in my entire life and um but she has always always had a book in her hand growing up like you know she, she just always did and that has then progressed her into into this amazing career that she's got and she's absolutely loving it and she's doing really really well and she does a lot of work with kids um and does a lot of uh, storytelling and um, and workshops and things like that. Um, you know, and some of the work she does is is absolutely amazing. I'm pretty sure she does a little bit to do with um, people with dementia and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the I've always found. I mean, it's sort of a slightly side note. I mean, um, it was uh, one of the, the sort of um, side shows I wanted to start with the biscuit, which um, uh, memoirs of the Slopian. And it's something that I've, brought, I've thought up of, uh, which is basically sitting down with somebody over a certain age <laughs> and uh, and just li- literally sitting there and just letting them talk. Because I personally find those stories of, of you know, what once was kind of thing, you know, um, these little snippets of memories, like you said, and like, you know, that, oh, I remember this one time in the pub once, this happened, like, you know, and uh, I can remember when this happened you know, down model you know that stuff i find all stuff fascinating whereas i I sort of suddenly got aware um that when you are brought up with that person they constantly tell these stories you kind of get a little bit complacent with it until it's gone and once it's gone it's gone forever Mm -hmm. like you know you're never gonna get that back and and i think that actually with it's quite you know fair dues to you because the work that you're doing um even if they can't necessarily communicate it across to you, you're probably firing off memories from nowhere that they probably never even thought that it was even there before, just by using Absolutely. music and stuff. And they're connecting that with a memory that they've had since, you know, from a childhood. And Absolutely. all these stuff's going flooding back. Definitely. There's an old African proverb, proverb that says, when a person dies, a library disappears with them. Uh-huh. Yes. And that's exactly yeah. what you've just said. And one of the nicest things we can do is sit and listen to somebody. Now, some people, you will say, oh, tell us a story. And they'll go, oh, I don't know any stories. Oh, yeah. don't ask me. I yeah. don't know any stories. But if you yeah. said to them, do you remember that time when, when the, the floods used to come into Shrewsbury? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, I remember then those days, yeah. <laughs> so you have to ask those leading questions. That's and, it. You know, and, and, and ask enough of them, and you ask them without ego. And sometimes you don't ask a question. You sing something like, we're all going on a summer holiday, and people will just start telling you stories because you're putting people into that flow. Yeah. And I often say that as a storyteller, this might come as a shock to you, but one of the the biggest jobs that I do is sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I can remember as a kid, um, I must have been only about 15, something like that. 
if not even that old, I don't think. Um, I was old enough just about to go into town on my own, you know, on the bus, I think, you know. And um, and I can remember waiting in the bus station um, for, uh, you know, to, to go home to catch the bus home. And uh, this old chap just kind of sits next to me. And I'm not even joking, I end up sitting there for about two and a half hours with this bloke, just sat there just talking to him. And I was fascinated. This bloke was like ex-military, he'd done all this stuff in his life. And he just sat there and just started telling me all this stuff. I think that's probably where the hook come, you know, and that's why I got so fascinated with it because I was just absolutely, this, this, you know, you wouldn't have guessed that this bloke, this old guy that's, you know, the, from a kid's perspective kind mature, of thing. Like, you know, mature, mature Shane, he, he old. Was just, this old guy. <laughs> you know, he, he, was, he was just like you know, hunched over and like, you know, he was wrinkled and he, he just looked so innocent and like, you know, and I found out that he had this amazing life. He'd done all this stuff with the army and like been abroad and he fought all sorts of different things and he'd done all these things. And like I was just absolutely gobsmacked. And um I think that that's where the hook comes from because I, I I would sit with old people for hours and I'd just talk to them and talk to them and talk to them and just listen. You know, and I find them absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And what we also really need to know is that, you know, we will be those old people for the younger generation telling them mm. the story at this time, you know. Tell them all about COVID-19. Absolutely. Oh, my God, there'll be stories coming out there. You know, yeah. and we we will remember the time before yeah. and we will tell them. And, I, you know, I'm getting ready to tell my grandson because he won't remember a time before this. So no. whatever new normal is rolling out, you know, we are the witnesses and we will be able to tell the story before. Shane, I want to tell you an amazing thing that happened to me. This was a gig that I did years ago and it was in a little back street club uh, for the RNIB, the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And they used to run tea clubs. And I got a job uh, touring these little tea clubs all over the country. And I would do a little kind of piece of storytelling for blind people and I did this one job and it was in the back streets of Warrington and I'd phoned up before to arrange it all with the organizer said right love what time you're coming I said well you know to fit in with you and he said well whatever time you start love you've got to be finished by 2.45 I said 2.45 why I mean it's a bit of an unusual time normally it's 2.30 or 3 o'clock and I was going what happens at 2.45 oh well, that's when they bring the pies in Pie. Says, oh, we're sponsored by a baker's so the baker sends the pies in at 245 and i tell you what they smell lovely and once once them pies come in you'll not be heard love i said right okay i'm a professional i will do you the job i'll finish at 245 so i did my thing 244 and 49 seconds i strummed the last chord on my guitar thank you very much ladies and gentlemen and the door at the back of the room opens and in comes this tray of steaming hot pies and the aroma is insane and everyone is just sort of like oh pie, pie, pies 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 and you know I wasn't going to turn down a sweet smelling pie so I sat down I was sat next to this little old lady a little bit like your man in the bus station shame yeah. little old lady um completely blind and she was tiny 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 little thing and together hunched over we tucked into a, a nice hot meat pie together and I said, what's your name? And she said, I, I, I'm called Sonny, Sonny Lowry. And I said, are you? I said, cool, that's a really unusual name. And then I thought, gosh, you know, I'm here in near Manchester and there's this mm. woman, Lowry. So I said, um, 
you wouldn't by any chance be related to the painter, Lowry, you know, matchstick men and matchstick cats and dogs, you know. And she went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lawrence was my cousin. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, wow. I mean, I think everybody must know L.S. Lowry's paintings. Yeah. Wow, it's, yeah, yeah. Who would have thought I was going to meet you in the back streets of Warrington? This is amazing. And she said, yeah, Lawrence did all right for himself. But I put Manchester on the map. I said, did you? What did you do? <laughs> Well, literally. <laughs> yeah. And she said, yes, uh, I was the first woman to ever swim the British Channel. And I said, really? <laughs> and she was. And this little old lady, you know, who, just like your man in the bus station, Shane, yeah. you know, little tiny, tiny, tiny lady, completely blind. She had trained on the de-estuary, coated in goose crease, in a knitted bikini, and she had swum the British Channel, and she was the first woman to ever do it. And she said, and I was doing it, and I, I was coming into Cali, and, and she was miming out the front crawl. She said, I was coming into Cali, and I could see the lights of Cali, and I was just coming into Cali, and they stepped into the water, and they offered me a hand, and I took a hand, and I was helped out of this, the water, and she was disqualified. So she swam the British Channel. She was disqualified. So she had to do it again, and she did. And she holds the record for the first woman to ever swim the British Channel. And her name was Sunny Lowry. There she is. Is that yeah. her? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I thought Sunny Lowry. Wow. And she was there in the back streets of Warrington eating a meat pie at an RNIV afternoon tea club. So oh. if that's not the value of sitting with somebody and yeah. letting yeah. them tell you their story so that now I can tell it to you. And I have to tell you that I read Sunny Larry's obituary in The Guardian many, many years ago, and she's no longer with her. But I feel really proud that whilst Sunny's body may have gone, her story and her legacy and her magic <laughs> lives on. You know, And she's alive yeah. with us today, and we can keep people alive by telling yeah. their stories. Wow. Absolutely. That's fascinating. That's amazing. That's all of our work. And, you know, as a professional storyteller, that is my job to inspire mm. us to do exactly what you're talking about, Shane, you know, mm. and, and, and keep this, give this stuff value, whatever platform we're sharing on. Yeah. And, and we, yeah. we was talking about this as a group the other day, just on WhatsApp, because Shane had come up with the idea about let's do some storytelling on the biscuit. Um, and but obviously we got into a sort of conversation around sort of copyright and is it legal to sort of like transcript that information? So, so, so what's, what's your sort of knowledge about how that does work, Sal? Well, no, you, you can't use somebody else's material. It's copywritten and uh, intellectual property and all of that. But as storytellers, we're dealing with a whole repertoire of traditional material traditional material which are are fully rounded stories um so the three bears yeah uh, um, red, little red riding hood the three billy goats gruff the enormous turnip the magic porridge pot all of these stories they're traditional stories uh nursery rhymes traditional material mm. you know songs are traditional songs um the one song that i love to do with groups is um there were rats rats the speakers blooming cats in the store. There were rats, rats, 
a snake is blooming cats in the quarter and that everybody going now that traditional song it's a campfire song you know and so this is the stuff and you start it and then people go ping their eyes light up and they start to flow and the pressure to remember is removed and you're granted permission to play and Mm. so this is kind of you know this is the, the territory that i inhabit now of course you tell a story you tell a traditional story and i tell a lot of stories about the devil i live under the devil's chair here in sniper stones and so you tell a lot of stories about the devil and you know storytellers have a code of honor in that you know somebody might tell a traditional tale about the devil but you wouldn't tell it verbatim because that's their mm-hmm. telling you know, your details, your little narratives, your twists and your turns, your turn of phrase, your 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 little sort of watermarks that go through that story, they're yours. And there's a code of honor between storytellers that you don't plagiarize off each other. But at its core, the repertoire is traditional, just like how many people sing Danny Boy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's a different yeah. a different arrangement of folk song. So it's exactly the same thing. You just instrument it, you orchestrate it differently and I'm fascinated by you know little things if I said to you a bird in a hand is worth two in the bush yeah a stitch in time saves nine nine. never cast a clout before oh don't know that one (laughs) (laughs) but you know we're in those all those little things all those bits of phrases proverbs sayings they're the things that sort of mesh us together. You know, we're held together by this this sort of common common sort of parlance, really. This mm. common language, this this uh, repertoire that we ch- we share, and that as soon as you sort of uh, access it, people relax. They go, "Yeah, I know this. This mm. is my stuff. Mm. I know it." Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we started it at school. We started <laughs> at school. Yeah. And it's very important job of schools. And there are some really brilliant schools in Shropshire that hire me religiously to go in once a term and bathe those children's ears in the music of language, as well as the teachers and the TAs. Yeah. You know, so we all know that stuff. There's still songs from like my school that I still remember now. Yeah, I probably remember all of it, but if I heard it, I go, oh, I remember that. You know, yeah, and um, and it's like it's it's accessing a different part of the memory, I suppose, isn't it? And like like you said, it's linking up the the, the sounds and the, and the words to different memories. So like me personally, I've I'm ridiculously good at watching a film and being able to tell you what other film that that first that has been in. Now, right. I li- and, and I didn't I didn't I wasn't lying when I said that I it's like me with my kids' birthdays. I genuinely struggle some nights out of ten to off the bat remember my kids' birthdays. I have to sit there and properly think about it and work it out. And I'm like, although oh, which one was first? Like, <laughs> like, you know, I have to really think about it, and, it, and it's like an effort. And I, and like you know, things like that, I really struggle with. And luckily, my part, my girlfriend, like you know, she, she's she's really good at remembering that sort of stuff. So between the two of us, we kind of fit in quite well. Um, yeah. But but you know, like if it comes to something visual. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's a if it's a place, if it's a, if it's in a film, if it's a bit of music or something, I can go. I know what that is. Yeah. You know, mm. but if it's writing, if it's if it's written, yeah, forget it. I, I'm not going to mm. remember it. You know, yeah. different Everybody's different. Styles. You know? We're all different, and it sounds exactly. like that you and your partner are a good complement. Mm. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. yeah. She's a good girl. Have you heard champion. that right? Jack's rat could eat no fat and his wife could eat no lean. So between them both, you see, they lick the platter clean. Uh, yep. Yeah, pretty much. I know it was really funny, actually. My dad calls me Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Shropshire's Jack's rat. There are millions of stories of Jack. You know, there are millions of stories of Jack. You know, we've got Jack and the Beanstalk. But yeah. if you think about Jack, there's millions and millions of stories. There's the house that Jack built. Jack mm-hmm. and Jill went up the hill. Jack yeah. be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack jump over the candlestick. I do get about it. Pardon? You do get about it, yeah. I do get about it, yeah. <laughs> what about that game that you throw with the ball and you catch those? Oh, yeah, Jack's. Jack's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jack's straws. We've got Jack's straws. Jack and Ori tell a story. Wow. You know, Jack is every man. I've got more. I've got about 20 stories of Jack. There's loads and loads and loads of stories about Jack the journeyman, Jack the traveller, Jack the everyman. And, um, you know, that's just sort of part of the repertoire that, that a storyteller carries around in their head. Jack, and there's, wow. there's um, Jack Reacher, of course, you know. <laughs> I've been listening to Jack Reacher. Random. <laughs> but yeah, there is. No, that, that, that was a nod to me, Jack that was. <laughs> <laughs> or not as the case may be Al like. it's a, it's a, it is an in joke it's a yeah it's an old joke that one uh, that was my rant about uh, Tom Cruise not being Jack Reacher because he's about four I agree four... with you on that 100% <laughs> I mean he, he was good but he's not the vision that you get in a it's not the vision you well, Jack... have of who Jack Reacher should be when you read about him in the stories, he's meant to be six then, foot two exactly. military guy, not a four foot midget. Jules, Jules, don't don't get him back uh, on his soapbox because it's you know it's, right, it's, quarter, it's quarter to eight. And what, you, what you're talking about is really interesting because you know um, I'm really <laughs> it's funny this I'm really inspired by an American storyteller and writer who is called Jack Zipes. Okay, he's a professor of storytelling, Jack Zipes. And Jack Zipes talks about stories and he says stories are a really true place for a revolution because how you imagine a story. If I said to you there was a cottage in a woods, right, Mm -hmm. Jules, Shane and Alex, you are all imagining a slightly different cottage, (laughs) right? You've got a picture of a cottage in the woods in your mind now and, you know, Everything in our world is so mediated to us and fed to us and sort of images are given to us of what we should be seeing and what we should be thinking. Whereas when we're dealing with sort of little archetypes of cottages in woods or monsters under beds or beautiful princesses in castles or kind of fearsome knights hacking their way through tangled um, ivy forests, we imagine those in our minds, in our dreamscapes, in our truly private place Mm. and stories are the last free place that we have to go everywhere else we're told what to think yeah when somebody offers you a story and they just tell it you and you 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 see you make that offer to children once upon a time there was a cottage and it was right in the middle of a dark woods and in that cottage there lived a little old lady and she hadn't seen anybody for 10 years you know instantly you've constructed a picture in your mind if you could paint it if you could make a film of it, Shane, you know, you, everybody mm. would do something different. Yeah. And stories are the last free place. And it feels so important when I'm going into schools and offering children a pathway into that last free place 
in their imaginations, the last mm. free place mm. where they can dream up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it, and it's yeah. I, I completely get that. Again, sort of uh, alluding back to to my work. I mean, I've um, a, a lot of my the people I deal with on a day to day basis. Um, I've never actually met face to face, especially now actually because I've just had some more people in my remit. So um, twice a year we have like a big meeting. Um, this you know, and eventually I'll get to see somebody face to face that I've been talking to for the last six months on, on the phone daily, you know, and um, and then all of a sudden the picture that's the, the person that stood in front of me is completely different to the to the person that I had created in my head. And yeah. then sometimes I walk, I walk up to them and they go, you're right. And I'm like, who are you? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm rich. I'm like, oh, you're rich. And like, <laughs> I thought you were about five foot and about that wide. Like, you know, so why am I looking up to you? I'm six foot one. Why am I looking up to you? You're, you're, you're about five foot at best. Like, that's yeah. what you sound yeah. like. Is this where I admit about what happened two weeks ago with uh, the dog aid? situation julie uh <laughs> you, you can you can <laughs> we invite uh, julie was like oh we've got rachel from dog aid coming in and i don't know why i don't know why but i expected a more mature lady uh, an older lady but uh rachel came on she's very young striking looking woman and it threw me off i was kind of like oh hi <laughs> it was just weird <laughs> i don't know why i imagined an older person but when when rachel come on i was like oh hi yeah yeah it's because it was a charity wasn't it and it was linked to you know people sort of like training normal dogs to become therapy dogs so you do it's interesting perception yeah it's interesting how we do kind of create stereotype based on very little information no matter how much we try and keep an open mind about anything we we can't help but to instantly have a, Mm -hmm. a stereotypical image in my in your head you know, uh, about how somebody looks, how somebody, you know, what, how they behave, um, yeah. what yeah. likes, dislikes are. And you've already built this character in your head just yeah. based on, like, one or two different facts, you know. Yeah. And yeah. everybody yeah. does it. Everybody does it. You know, yeah. you'd be the most open-minded, non-prejudiced person in the world. You know, um, you, you get someone called Mackenzie, you're going to have an image in your head, you know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's the important work of the storyteller, and I feel really strongly, and I know that our time is running out, but I talk to you a lot about that old woman in the cottage. Why mm. is a woman living on her own, very oh. likely, in a story to be a witch? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. It's yeah. kind of interesting how we've othered older women and how we've othered unmarried women in our stories. Yeah. And how, you know, there's a lot of socioeconomic reasons for 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 the spinster and for the witch mm. and and you know the way that that character has been constructed and maligned and you know I was really lucky to work with the folklorist called Anne-Marie Legram who you really should have on here because she's running a wonderful season at the moment where she's commissioning a lot of artists including me to make content for a Facebook page called Folk mm. and um, she's done a lot of thinking around witches and uh, I was really lucky as a storyteller to work with her. She's a painter. And just exploring, as you say, you say, you know, this woman's going to come and show us about dogs. And, like, you construct this picture. 
And it's based mm. on every other woman with dogs that you've thought about and all the messages that society has given us. And, you know, this is where stories are just really, really interesting to have an awareness around that we're always yeah. telling ourselves stories. And right now we're being told a huge story around oh, yes. the, um, <laughs> around the, the corona stuff, you know, yeah. and, and how it's being handled and stories of heroism. Mm. And, you know, this is this is the way that our society makes sense of itself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. that's it Alex yeah <laughs> it's a brilliant link and I've got some content on there already and I'm posting some more up next week I think it I think it might be um different and a bit interesting for us if we potentially we, we'll have a chat about seeing how we can work but I wonder if it might be worth um having you on Sal um and, and actually doing a story yeah that'd be good we can get yeah. it sorted yeah, I think yeah. I think that'll be quite good. You know, sort of share with us <laughs> and your audience. No, share with us and the audience, and we'll set it up for a different time with the sort of stuff you do. But but in the meantime, if people yeah. want to find you um, and link into you, particularly now as well with everything going on, mm-hmm. uh, what is your website called so people can find you? It's called Sally www.sallytonge.co.uk. It just does what it says on the tin. And you find and the spelling of Tonge? T-O-N-G-E. Lovely. Yeah, like the village near Shiffnell with an E on the end. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The one that's, wasn't it 2000 AD? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a handy name for a storyteller to be called Sally Tonge. It's a very handy name. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So you've been an absolute star. I'm just aware of the time because I know you guys want to get to the um, NHS clap, as do I. Yeah. Um, it's been absolutely amazing. Your, your work is incredible, and I can't wait. I'm I'm, I'm personally going to have a look and see if I can find some stuff that stuff you're working have a have a ganders. Um. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's been yeah. amazing. Thank you for Sorry, I was a little bit late. I had a few tech issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, but thanks to thanks to Jules for uh, for co-hosting with me. Pleasure. Um, and thank you for Al for being lovely and quiet as for a change. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. Um, he's uh, he's he behaved himself today. I think. Um, I think he can, he can have a cookie. Um, <laughs> But yeah, thank you very yeah. much, guys. Um, this has been the Shooty Biscuit. Al, do you want to plug all the um, social medias? Because you know all the links. I don't. <laughs> I was like, I was like, pretending to type on this. I was like, website. Don't forget the website. Make sure you guys check us out at www.theshoesbybiscuitpodcast.co.uk. And our website is made by our friends at Web Orchard. Make sure you check us out. Thank you very Brilliant. much, guys. Thank Brilliant. you. Take care. Peace out. <laughs>